This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. I need your help this morning. We're working on some ideas for messages in the coming year. What I'd like for you to do is to go online to sumc.co and to take three or four minutes and fill in your thoughts about some messages and topics you would like for me and others on the pastoral staff to be preaching about in the coming year. And if you want to, you can just simply drop that uh, note on a piece of paper and hand it to me or Pastor Jason at Renovate when you leave worship today. It was a couple of weeks ago when our worship team was gathering, we were thinking about this series of messages about the gifts of Christmas, and we were particularly thinking about today, the gift of peace. The bombings in Paris had just occurred, and we were wondering out loud what would happen between then and now in our world. What would be some more chaos? What would be some more violence? And certainly we've seen that. We've seen more gunmen. And we saw terrorism in California this week. As it seems like uh, violence and turmoil and chaos just keeps turning it up another notch. And we've come to this place in our life, in our world, where we almost expect this or we anticipate this. And so when we talk today about the gift of peace, it, I don't want it to be some trite little topic or I don't want us to move too quickly. We had the Advent candle already lit here and I just snuffed it out so I can light it later. Uh, but the idea is that we can light the candle of peace too quickly. Sometimes I wonder, uh, as, as the world gathers, we have one more candle lighting, I think. What difference does it make anyway? So what do we do in this world of chaos to stop mocking the song, Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Men? When you think about it, since the last time we celebrated the birth of Jesus a year ago, what's happened in our world? There's been a series of downing of planes. Remember those girls that were abducted in Africa? Disappeared for good? We know about the Syrian refugees by, by the hundreds of thousands. We, we know something about the bombings, not once, but twice in Paris. We recognize our own turmoil, our own tension, uh, racial tension and otherwise in our nation, in our country. We know in our local community there's uh, an upturn in terms of crime and poverty. So, uh, you know, I just don't want us to light a peace candle and be as trite and sentimental about it as maybe someone that's a contestant at the USA pageant that when she's asked the question, what do you wish for for your world, world peace? I mean, it's, it really isn't that simple, is it? So what I want to do is, is to suggest to us that one of the ways in which we come to peace, come to this shalom of God, this well-being, this inner sense of, of the depths of, of peace in our soul, we have to, to acknowledge some of the cries of violence and injustice and pain in our world. And in your own life, your own personal pain, 
Whatever's right in your world today, whatever's good about your life, you feel that most acutely at Christmas. And whatever's wrong in your life, whatever is, is it that's struggling in your life, whatever's missing in your life, whoever is missing in your life, you feel that pain most acutely at Christmas. So what do we do with pain? You know, I love that in the Bible you get this comprehensive stories about the whole truth. And so the truth of the matter is when the babe of Bethlehem is born and we celebrate and the king of the Jews comes into this earth, there's the babies of Bethlehem. There's that story too. You know that story. For King Herod had all the male children, two years of age and under, killed because of the babe of Bethlehem. What would it have been like to be a parent in that day when there was a rap at the door and you answered the door and there was a guard and that guard searched your house for every male child two years of age and under, and they took them and your neighbor's kids to the town square and without a word killed them. I mean, that's the violence that was done in the world when Jesus was born. And I love the way the Gospel of Matthew gives expression to that pain when he quotes the words of Jeremiah centuries ago. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel, now who's Rachel? Rachel was the matriarch, one of the matriarchs of the Jewish faith. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I love the fact that it says that Rachel refuses to be comforted because you and I are living in a time and a place where it is trite for us to say, don't worry about it, everything's going to be fine. Don't you hate it when you're hurting and someone says, don't worry about it, it'll, be, it'll just be fine. How do we know that? And what the Bible does, it gives voice for grief. The Bible gives us permission to cry out. And personally, I hope that we never get used to the idea that the violence that we're seeing in our world is the new normal. That this is the way it's just going to be. I mean, this is the way the 21st century started, and by golly, this is just the way it's going to be. Get used to it. I hope there's a sense in which there's something that cries out inside of us and says, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the world that God created. This isn't the world that God wants for us. And that we give voice to the heart cries, whether it's our heart cries or other people that are hurting. You know, you cannot get to peace without acknowledging the pain in your own heart. And that's what's so wonderful about the Christmas story. And the message of Jesus is he came and he's coming again. And we live in between the now and the not yet. God's presence is here now. Jesus came once. He offers himself to us now. And yet the peace and the goodness and the mercy and what God envisions for this world is not yet fulfilled. 
But let's not ever forget the vision that God has for this world. I want to invite you to look with me at an old prophecy, the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 11. These are the words that were given to the prophet Isaiah seven centuries before the coming of Jesus, and it gives us a perfect perspective and vision of what God wills for the world and what God is going to be doing through Jesus Christ. So Isaiah says there's going to be a shoot that comes out from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Jesse is the father of King David. And it's out of the King David family tree that Jesus Christ is born. There's going to be a stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear, the reverence of the Lord. Boy, how, how do we not need that counsel, that wisdom, that might, that spirit? His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he, his eyes see. He's not going to judge people by the color of their skin, their ethnicity, their gender, anything about them. Or he's, going, he's not going to judge by deciding what his ears hear, what other people are going to say about people. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. He is going to be the lamb of God, gentle as a lamb, and he's going to be the lion of Judah, fierce like a lion. And that fierceness one day will remove wickedness from this world. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, faithfulness the belt around his loins. And when this Messiah reigns, when this vision is fully fulfilled, here's the benchmarks. Here's how you know he's fully in charge. The wolf will lie down with the lion. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand in the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's going to be a day when the Prince of Peace is fully in charge. There's going to be a new heaven, and there's going to be a new earth. And the things that are happening in this world today will no longer continue because he will be fully reigning. Now, Mary, a little teenage girl, seven centuries later, living in a little town called Nazareth, teenage kid, nameless, just an ordinary name like Mary, is visited by the angel Gabriel, and she is told that she is going to bear the Lord Christ. She's going to bear this Messiah. She's going to bear the Lord God. And she, after telling her cousin Elizabeth her news, and Elizabeth 
shares her good news, then Mary says these words, these poetic words, these lyrical words, the Mary's Magnificat is what we call it, the words of, of Luke's gospel. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for all who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones, and he's lifted up the lowly. He's fulfilled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. What's striking about this is that Mary's words echo what Isaiah said. Now, doesn't Mary have it backwards? It's not the hungry that are fed. It's, it's the wealthy, right? It's not the powerful that are thrown from the thrones. Uh, they, they remain on the throne, right? But the vision is clear that there is a new world coming, and the world in which you and I are living in is someday going to end. And there's going to be a new heaven, and there's going to be a new earth. And that Prince of Peace came once to this earth, and he is going to come again to this earth. And he is going to restore peace and harmony where the knowledge of him is going to fill the earth as the waters fill the sea. And where you and I live now, between the now and the not yet, that prince can reign in our hearts and in our spirits. And he can take over. But, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's not easy to let Jesus Christ have his way with us. There's a price for that. Think about what Mary went through. What will Mary endure? Mary will endure the gossip of getting pregnant without the benefit of marriage, which by that, by, in that day could have involved stoning. She will endure giving birth in primitive conditions while on the road in Bethlehem. She will keep it moving, sister. Thank you. Spend, spend two years as a refugee with her husband, Joseph, and baby Jesus in Egypt. She's going to have to put up with the civil rivaling between Jesus and his brothers. Can you imagine what it's like to be Jesus' younger kid brother? What you had to live up to on that? She's going to endure the suffering of her son's crucifixion. And Mary's going to have her moments where she's going to cry out like Rachel too, isn't she? You know, if you want to get an image of what God is doing and what God is like in our world today, you, you can do a whole lot worse than the idea of a mother weeping over her children. That's a pretty good vision of God. But the peace of God is something that you and I can know and we can have in our life. But here's the deal. Jesus isn't going to give us an inch. Jesus is going to take all that's his. He's not going to do things halfway with you. 
C.S. Lewis was a, a Christian apologist of the 20th century. And he, he said when he was a kid, he would have a toothache. And back in the day when Lewis was, uh, had a toothache and back in the day when I had a toothache, I mean, dentists were really painful then, okay? It's a piece of cake today compared to then. But Lewis said when his teeth hurt in the middle of the night, he hated to tell his mother about it because he knew she would do two things. The first thing he liked, what would she do? Well, she'd give him something to dull the pain. But she also would take him to the dentist the next morning, and he knew what those dentists would do. He knew that those dentists would not just stop with the tooth that was aching. They'd start poking around all around his mouth, even over the teeth that didn't hurt, because that's what dentists did. You give them an inch, they take a foot. And C.S. Lewis said, that's the way God is, and that's the way Jesus is. You give him an inch of your life, He's going to want all your life. And Lewis says these words about that. Make no mistake, this is God speaking. If you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself into my hands, this is what you're in for. Nothing less. You have free will, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand that I'm going to see this job through. I love those words. That's been my experience with Jesus. You know, I go along with Jesus pretty well, and I give him my life, and we're doing fine, but he wants more, and he wants more. And sometimes I push back or I push him away. Enough already, God. But Jesus says, I want more. You know, sometimes we are disconnected with Jesus because somewhere along the line, friends, Jesus asked us of something that he wanted and we were not willing to give it. But what happens is you and I become empty enough or we hurt enough or we come up against stuff in life that we can't handle anymore on our own and we come back to him. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is he's still there for us. But Jesus is not going to compromise Jesus came according to Isaiah and according to Mary. He's come to turn the world upside down. He's going to change the natural order of things. That's going to happen in this world, and it does happen in certain places in this world, and it can happen in any human heart that lets him do it this morning. Now, my uh, grandson, Oren, he used to be at that place in life where you just hand him a toy. And then he came to that point where he just grabbed the toys. And now he's come to this point where he just comes to the toy bin and he turns the thing completely over. Well, let's watch my grandson, okay? So there he is. This is what Oren does. Upends it all. Holds nothing back. When Oren comes to visit, we turn the house keys over to him. We turn the place over to him. There is total upending of the natural order of things. The Scripture tells us a little child will lead them. The Scripture tells us that there's a babe in Bethlehem that has been born. And Jesus Christ clearly in his life and his teachings 
continuously says to us, I am yours. But he does not compromise himself. He does not compromise truth. He does not compromise life. He does not compromise grace. He says, you want me or you don't want me. You can't have him halfway or partway. Sometimes we're with him. Sometimes we're not with him. Where are you today with Jesus Christ? Do you want peace? Do you want harmony? Or do you want to just hold on and manage things the best you can? You know, I've had some wonderful stories given to me recently from members of this congregation of people that have, are turning their lives or turning aspects of their lives over to him. I had a school teacher tell me recently that this year in her classroom in the fall of the year, there was a lot of chaos. There were four or five students that were just chaotic. I can't imagine what it's like to be a school teacher in a classroom like that trying to teach and establish order. And she said what she did was she began to pray. She began to see these students in a different light, she began to look for a compliment, anything she could do to say one positive word in these kids' lives. And she said, her classroom has been transformed. One child didn't make it, but the rest have changed. And she, she kind of turned the classroom over to Jesus. I had a businessman last week Drop me an e-note. He said, Bob, i got to tell you this story. About two or three months ago, I, I lost a client. I lost a job, a consultation job I wanted really bad. And I feel like I was kind of uh, uh, worked around me. Someone upended me. And I was meditating about this, and I heard God say to me, who are you to argue with what I withhold from you? And he said, then two months later, I get this lucrative position, this lucrative contract, much better, from a guy that I respected, a devout guy, with a better product. And he said, it's only after that that I could understand the voice of God in my life. I shared that with his permission. I shared this with, his, with a woman's permission. About a month ago, a member of our congregation was praying on Sunday morning. She didn't like her job anymore. She'd worked there 20 years for a company. It had been rearranged, her position. And she asked God for a sign. Now, be careful for that. Be careful what you pray for. You might get it. The next morning, she comes to her job, and she's told by the executive director that her job's been eliminated. How do you like that for a sign? But in the midst of the shock of it, she was smiling inside because she just sensed that God was doing this, was a part of this. And the next morning, she goes to the Scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13, and there's a prayer that says, God, thank you for redirecting my dreams to your dreams where my pathways are closer to you. Now, friends, in all three of these stories, they're different, and yet 
the, the similar thing that happens is each of these persons individually in their ordinary real life day of life turn their business, turn their classroom, turn their jobs over to God. They give it to Him. What are we giving to God? How much of ourselves are we giving to God? We live in an interesting time. We live in a troubled world. We don't know how the near future is going to pan out. We don't know what's going to happen next. But we do know that God has got a different idea and a better idea. And we know that his kingdom is going to come fully on this earth. And we know that that Prince of Peace has come once. And because he's come once, his presence is available to anyone today, all of us, who will invite him into our life. And the good news is he will let us cry out to him. He will let us express our pain. He will weep with us. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. But in the midst of it all, he will embrace us. And out of the ashes, he will create a beauty in our life. Out of the shambles and the hurts and the despair. There will sprout up new life, new branches, new evidence. Where the old battle lines are not drawn in our hearts. And we become the children of God, peacemakers, following the Prince of Peace. So this morning, it's because of that reason, I light the peace candle. And we celebrate the gift of peace, which is Jesus Christ himself. And we remember the words of Jesus. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And we come to this table, the peace table, the Prince of Peace. And it's in the midst of a different Herod at the end of his earthly life, that violence is done once again in the world. Violence to Jesus Christ. And before he is taken and arrested and killed, Jesus Christ shares this last meal with his followers, and he shares this meal with us. And one of my most favorite images of this is a picture that hangs in my office it's a picture of Jesus at the table with his disciples, and his face is a bit beleaguered, as we could imagine. But behind Jesus and the disciples are this whole array of faces of ethnicity and groups and ages of nationalities of people that are all a part of the kingdom of God. That's the vision in which we come to this table today. And so, friends, Jesus says these words to us. 
and to all who want to be the children of peace, to all who will make peace in their hearts, to all those who sin and need a Savior, for all those who will acknowledge their sin and their need of God, for all those who will ask for forgiveness and to forgive other people, for all those who seek to be in love and in charity with their neighbor and want to live a new life, following the commandments of God, to love God with all our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves, we can draw near with faith and we can take Jesus to our comfort today, kneeling meekly on our knees. We can come to the prayer wall and we can write our prayers of confession to God. For it's in the night that Jesus is betrayed, he takes bread and he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples and says, this is my body given for you. He takes the cup and says, this is the blood, the cup of salvation for the esponging, the removal of your sins. Take and eat this. Take and drink this remembrance that I died for you and be thankful. And so the great peace offering is Jesus Christ himself given to reconcile all people to God and to reconcile one another through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. He gives us his all. We can give him our all today. Will our servers come forward? Will our band come? And we come into this time of worship this morning. Gluten-free is available for those who wish it at that table. And let's come into this spirit of worship and giving our hearts to God.